This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. When I talk about the quality of life or the difference between heaven and earth that Jesus, uh, that uh, Isaiah identified was as far above in quality, I believe, as the heavens are high above the earth. I believe that's true in every area. I believe there's a quality of life that's available for us. A quality of life. A quality of complete victory over the devil and his works here in the earth that's available to us. Turn with me over to John chapter 8. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but the, the whole chapter is really tied together. It contains a lot of things that Jesus said that were difficult for the people to hear. And the, John's the only gospel writer that gives us this information. I, I've said this over and over again, and, and forgive me for repeating this, but it helps me understand a lot of things that I wouldn't understand or didn't used to understand otherwise. John wrote his gospel some 60 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. The other three gospels are well, were well known. They were circulated widely throughout the Christian world. John knew everything Matthew said. He knew everything that Mark said, and he knew everything that Luke had written. But apparently, we needed what John had to say as an eyewitness to all these things to give us a complete picture. Otherwise, I can't imagine why the Holy Ghost would have inspired him to write. And John tells us a lot of things that the other three don't. It's almost like he comes behind and, and fills in the blanks. And this chapter is one of those places. Another is John chapter 14, 15, and 16, which tells us about the, the last night, the last supper that Jesus uh, experienced and ate with his disciples. But this chapter, by and large, is talking about, is Jesus talking about being one with the Father. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about being one with, with the Father, just like we are one with the Father through him. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 again, a prayer that the other gospel writers don't give us or inform us of. But Jesus prayed that we would be one with the Father just like he's one with the Father. Not a step down. Not one step further away. But like he is one with the Father. In other words, this quality of life that we're talking about that's a part of heaven and available, it seems, to us here on the earth was the same quality of life that Jesus experienced and operated in when he was here. And I think we'd all have to agree that Jesus demonstrated complete victory over the devil and all of his works. Jesus lived in such a way that he didn't have to be concerned about what was coming down the road. He didn't wake up in the morning and said, well, I hope we can get through another day. And it didn't matter if extreme cases and conditions of sickness faced him. It didn't matter if people wanting to kill him was going to face him that day. It didn't matter what was coming. It did not matter what the devil tried to throw at him because he was one with the Father. 
Now, I understand that some of these things are difficult for us to accept. And I further understand that the reason that most Christians live on a low level as mere men, maybe as Paul said, is because of the difficulty to accept this. The difficulty in accepting this makes all the difference in whether or not you and I are going to live up to who we've been created to be. Jesus did not recreate us through the new birth in the image of God, impart righteousness into our being, change us into righteous men and women for us to go through life saying, well, I wonder what we're supposed to do now. I'd like to believe that we are who the Bible says we are, but man, that's just tough. And those who have stepped over into these, this quality of life, I'll include John Lake as one of those. We look at as aberrations. Modern man looks at people that did those things <clears throat> in the name of Jesus and on the behalf of God as almost freaks, spiritual freaks. We consider that to be a good thing. But it's as if we see what they did and think, well, he had something extra. He had something more than what we have. His experience with God was, was different than our experience from God, with God. And folks, that's impossible. If God gave him or anybody like him a greater experience in himself, a different salvation than what we have, then God is a respecter of persons, which makes the Bible a lie. So this quality of life is what Jesus is talking about when he speaks of being one with the Father. Verse 27, we'll pick up in the middle of the story. They understood not that Jesus spake to them of the Father. <clears throat> then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he. Do you see the word he is in italics? That means the translators added it to help us understand. The translators are helping us understand what they thought. But in this case, they're not helping us understand what Jesus said. So let me read this again without the he. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am. This is the clearest place in all of the gospels where Jesus identifies who he is. He says, I am. Remember, that's what God told Moses his name was. That's what God told Moses, the name that God told Moses to take to Pharaoh when he said, go let my people go. I am that I am. Jesus is saying, being one with the Father makes him I am. <clears throat> that's going to get him in trouble at the end of this, this chapter. But he continues to teach. He said, then shall you know that I am and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. I want you to see that verse. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. Now, what do they believe in? 
What do they believe him about? What do they believe on him for? They believed that he was I am. In other words, it's telling us that there were a lot of people in this crowd that accepted that Jesus was the Messiah and they believed on him. Which means when salvation comes through Jesus' resurrection, they're in. They're ready to receive. Not that they knew that was coming, but it puts them in position as far as God's concerned to bestow eternal life upon them. So as he spoke these words, verse 30 again, as he spoke these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So apparently this was a majority Jewish crowd. Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now, first thing out of the gate here, I want you to see that Jesus showed a difference between believers and disciples. Since we know that the believers were believing in connection with salvation, then we would have to understand that Jesus made a distinction that fits in our day between saved and disciples. We got a lot of the church world that's saved. Well, everybody in the church world, I guess, is saved. I wonder how many of them are disciples. Notice what makes the difference between the two classes. The attitude toward the word. Then said Jesus unto those those Jews who believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Verse 32, he continues, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, notice he's talking about uh, a measure of truth that the casual Christian doesn't get. He's talking about a measure of truth that comes only from continuing in the word. He's talking about a quality of life that's, av- that's available for those who go beyond just the remission of sins to continue in the word. Can you see that? If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice the ones who are going to be free in life, not the believers, not the casual Christians. 
but those who pursue the word. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him and said, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou that you shall be made free? Then Jesus starts talking about who really is Abraham's seed. Verse 37, he said, I know that you are Abraham's seed, physical descendants in other words, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Then they answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. Now, what's Abraham known for? Faith. Folks, faith is always the victory. It doesn't just bring victory. It is the victory. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 17, Father, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Then Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Somewhere along the line, these guys should try to understand not to argue with Jesus. I mean, every time they think they've got an answer, Jesus said, well, if that were true, then this. Yeah, but, well, if that were true, then this. So he winds up calling them children of the devil. You're of your father, the devil. Now, folks, who is he talking to? The previous scripture said he talked to the Jews that believed on him. So you've got believers, people that the Bible says have chosen to believe what he said about being one with the Father, about being the Messiah, that come to the place where they argue for their own positions, their own purposes, to stick with what they've got. We're willing to believe. Okay, Jesus, we'll say that you're the I am. We'll say that you're the Messiah. But we don't want to change the way we're operating. We don't want to change our thinking. We don't want to change what we do. We want to stick with the way the world does things. Remember, Jesus said, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're saying, we don't want to change our thoughts or our ways. Because see, folks, if you continue in the word, it'll change your thoughts. And it'll change your ways. If you choose to be a disciple and follow through like Jesus said, it will change you. And a lot of people would rather stick with what they've got. A lot of Christians would rather stick with what they've got. Are they believers? Yeah. Does heaven belong to them? Yeah. Are they disciples? Not so much. You remember what Jesus told the church in Laodicea? Revelation chapter 3, I think it is. He said to the, to the Christians that were there in that church, he said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. Apparently, God can deal with hot or cold. 
He said, but you're lukewarm. Not worth anything. Lukewarm water doesn't quench your thirst. It doesn't even feel good in your mouth. So Jesus said in the spiritual context, because you're lukewarm, I'll have to spew you out of my mouth. Does that mean they're not saved? No. It means they won't change. Lukewarm Christians won't change. And they don't want to be confronted with anything that might cause or demand a change. So it's just so much easier for a lukewarm Christian to stay away from the word. To repeat what they've heard other people say. Not to expect much of God and certainly not to expect much of themselves. Jesus said, I'd rather have you cold than that. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, Paul said, finally, my brethren, he's wrapping up the letter that he's written to them. And he's saving some of the most important information for last. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I want you to notice that he's saying that in such a way that causes us to understand that strength or weakness is a choice. If it was something that was dealt by God apart from us, apart from any effort on our part, then Paul would have said, you strong ones, be strong for everybody and the weak ones hang on to them. But he doesn't. He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Spiritual strength is a choice. It's available for everybody. You be the judge on how many people take advantage of it. He tells them how to do it. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the treachery or trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, because this is true, because you have a real enemy out there. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. William's translation says, withstand when evil attacks you. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, you know as well as I do, you can't just say, okay, in the name of Jesus, I take unto myself the armor of God. Anybody that tries to do that is about to get whacked. Because the devil wants to discourage you. He wants to keep you in the dark about this. How do you take upon yourself truth? How do you take upon yourself righteousness? How do you take upon yourself the helmet of salvation or the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God? How do you do any of that stuff? It all comes through one and only one way, and that's knowledge. Remember, Peter wrote to the church. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God the Father and Jesus his Son. Through the knowledge. See, the difference between the strong Christian and the weak Christian is not the measure of salvation that they have. 
but rather the measure of the knowledge that they've gained. The measure of the knowledge that they've gained. The more you know about righteousness, the more you'll walk in it. The more you know about what salvation has accomplished for you, the more you'll walk in that. It's all about knowledge. And see, knowledge is what casual Christians resist. Because knowledge will change you. Knowledge that comes through the word, which is the knowledge that triggers these blessings of God. I want you to notice what Paul uses as an example. In all probability, he writes this while he's under house arrest in Rome. The Bible tells us about that house arrest that there were a group of soldiers that were with him almost constantly. At one time on his journey to Rome, they were chained to him or tied to him so he couldn't get away. Not that he tried. But in Rome, he was under house arrest and so there was a constant guard. So he has a Roman soldier to look at that is the the basis of the foundation for the spiritual armor, the armor of God that he identifies with the Ephesians. Now, what was the purpose of this armor for the Roman soldier? Well, the Roman soldier had only one purpose, and that is to destroy the enemies of Rome. And even though many of these pieces of the armor that are identified are defensive in nature, the purpose for being covered by that armor was to free the soldier up to kill the enemies of Rome. And that's what Paul uses for an example. What does that mean? Well, I believe it means what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. I believe the armor of God is given unto us to destroy the works of the devil in our lives. And remember what the Bible says. The Bible says we're complete in him. I think there's a spiritual application there. Because remember the Bible says again, it's 1 John 5, 4. That faith is the victory which overcomes the world. It doesn't just bring victory. It is the victory. Same thing's true where this Ephesians 6 passage is concerned. Being strong in the Lord is a choice. And it may not look like you gain strength overnight. But if you stick with it, it'll see you through. You know, faith is kind of a paradox. Because as John tells us by the Holy Ghost, as soon as we believe the truth, as soon as we choose to accept God's word as the truth and live by it, which is what being strong in the Lord really comes down to, once you make that determination, once you make that choice, it puts you in position to take hold of everything Jesus did for us. But there's no requirement for you to do it. I'm talking to Christians. There's no requirement for anybody to ever operate in faith beyond just making Jesus their Lord and Savior. None whatsoever. There's no assurance. There's no guarantee that someone will take hold of it. Or if they ever do take hold of it, it will stick to it until they see the results. It's all subjective. It's all subject to your choice. In your will. 
The thing that makes faith a paradox, in my thinking, is because if you make the choice, if you decide, I want to have what the Bible says that Jesus provided. I want to have every part of it. I don't, I don't want just my sins to be forgiven. I want to walk in health. I want to walk in abundance. I want to walk in God's perfect will. I want the peace of God to rule and reign in my life. I want to enjoy life on a higher level, on a heavenly level. In order to do that, you've got to sell out. You've got to go all in. And a lot of people want to give it a try to see what happens. And faith doesn't work by trying. It works only for those who are sold out. Now, what does selling out mean? It means you're going to have to change a lot. There's a lot of things about your thinking you're going to have to change. There's a lot of things about what you do that's going to have to change. I'm pretty well convinced that Jesus didn't die for people to be casual about his death. Greatest decision you can ever make after making Jesus the Lord of your life is to sell out to the truth of the word. Now, I may not know everything that means to you or for you, but I know everything that means for me. What it really comes down to is dealing with the things God's been telling you to deal with for a long time. But there's a payoff. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Here's what that really means. It means that God sees when you step over into faith, before any natural change takes place, before any receiving of anything in a physical manner occurs, God sees you as already victorious. When Paul said, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us, that's what he's saying. He's saying if we're living our lives on the truth of God's word, if we've sold out to the truth, which is the word of God, and made a, a one-time decision, once and for all decision, never to turn back on, that we're going to live by the word, you're already a winner. Now, we may judge that win, that victory, by the things that we want to see in the natural realm. When we understand that and begin to thank God because we've already won, before we see any evidence or physical change in our life circumstances, when we accept things like that and rejoice because of that truth, the devil is sunk. He'll give up on you just like he gave up on Jesus. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the Bible says that Jesus answered with the word, which was the foundation for everything he did and said and lived by. And after he answered the devil with the word, on those three instances that the Bible gives us record of, it says the devil left him for a season. That has to mean the devil saw there's no way to beat this guy. I can't beat him from within. Now, he certainly turned up the heat on the circumstances in life, but that didn't stop Jesus either. I believe that's a picture of the heavenly life, the quality of life that's available to us because we are complete in him. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray was that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's nothing greater than to know who you are in Christ, what belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice, and what God's plan and purpose for your life really is. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Because remember what God said to Moses, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.